0: you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Dogs in the Car is this powerful and intimate collaboration between Tammy Aftab and her father, Tony. It's all about his short-term memory loss and how it shapes his life and that of their wider family. And remarkably, Tammy made the work while she was at university, only recently graduating during the pandemic. And the work takes something deeply personal and turns it into something visual, accessible and more public, opening up this critical dialogue about invisible struggles. The project speaks to so many of the values that exist in Tammy's practice, like intimacy, family, identity, play, empathy, and also this unique and gentle humour that she has, which she sort of weaves and manifests in unexpected ways. As an emerging photographer, I was so excited to speak to Tammy, not only about this incredible body of work, but about her experience starting out, managing the pressures of productivity, social media, building connections and relationships with people, as well as grappling with this tension that so many young artists feel between their ambition and patience and kind of waiting for things to emerge.
1: Renting out a space is expensive, like all these things, you know, doing massive editorials, they're expensive and it's not as simple as just wanting to do them and getting to do them for a lot of people. And I think that's where it's important to remember that you shouldn't be trying to hit these milestones, you should be making work that you're happy with and then those milestones will come organically. Tammy Aftab is an English Pakistani photographer based in London.
0: In addition to her incredible personal work, she's shot for clients including Stella McCartney, Google, Hunter, Rafa and Sony Music. She's also shot a whole list of beautiful editorials for magazines like Atmos, Family Portrait Magazine and the New York Times, as well as exhibiting her work at Photoville and Format Festival. Most people know you from your project, The Dogs in the Car, which is this powerful collaboration with your dad, Tony. I I still really vividly remember when I first saw it. It's such a remarkable body of work that holds so many different emotions. And I remember being quite disarmed by it when I first saw it, because it's this really potent combination of performance, text and photography that together really open up so much in the work. But before we kind of unpack the project and hear about its genesis, it would be great to hear a little bit more about your relationship with your dad and what that dynamic is like both now and when you were growing up.
1: The the Dogs in the Car is a a collaboration with my dad, Tony. Um, It started when I was in my final year of university, when I was trying to think of a project that I'd be interested in for an entire year, like something I could dedicate that amount of time and passion to. But essentially, it's about my dad who struggles with short-term memory loss. This is quite a unique situation in that it occurred during an operation on his brain to help with his hydrocephalus. And hydrocephalus is a buildup of fluid. Um, So what the doctors were trying to do was essentially create a tunnel to allow that fluid to flow easier to stop migraines and disorientation and all the issues he was having. But during that operation, by accident, they damaged his short-term memory. So it's it's quite unique. It's not dementia or early onset dementia or anything. It's, um, it's simply like an accident in operation. So he
0: kind of struggles to have short-term memory now. Yeah. He's completely got his long-term memory,
1: right? Yeah, so he's completely got his long-term memory. And short-term memory is something that I think we all understand. It's not like... It, like, long-term memory is something that we can't even imagine not remembering, you know who someone was or whatever, but short-term memory is things like going to the shop and thinking, God, what what am I here for? And walking upstairs and being like, what did I come up these steps for? And we all have those moments. It's just so frequent and repetitive. So, yeah, it's, it's more that in his day-to-day life, there are struggles that he has. You know, he, he has to take a lot of medication for his variety of illnesses and... It's about remembering to take that medication, for example, or remembering to take the keys out of the front door or remembering to turn off the oven. There's like the small things that we all probably panic about, but we know that we will remember to do um, on the most part. But that's something that he fears about forgetting every day.
0: What motivated you to make a project about this? And then how did the collaboration between the two of you evolve?
1: At first, I wasn't really going to do this project. I started it in my second year of university um, and it was very, very much focused then on creating light around his illness specifically and nothing to do with our relationship or about humor, et cetera, or coping mechanisms. It was just about his um, short-term memory. And I used to have sit down kind of conversations with him, with my sister and my mum, and kind of try and capture on video the moments when he forgets, you know, those those like capture on his facial expressions, on in his in the dialect because it's something that I grew up with so I don't really notice it so it took me kind of watching it back and being like oh yeah that's that's where it's not normal but I actually found that project with the videos quite uninspiring I found it really difficult and it it didn't feel like me that in the way I was doing it in the things I was depicting it felt very formal and it felt very very documentary So I kind of let that go um, and started on another project. And it was in third year that I came back around to it because I was actually a bit frustrated that I started this project with dad and I just let it stop and I I wasn't happy with any of it. So I wanted to kind of return to it in the right lens and with the right mindset and, and actually just being more ourselves and not constraining ourselves in any way.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's so funny when something's so personal like this to kind of have that process of sort of unravelling it and testing things and figuring out what works and what doesn't because it's what one of the things for me that is so disarming about the work is is kind of your collaborative energy between the two of you for me that dynamic of the photographer holding the power over the subject isn't there in this it feels like your dad is so present and so, uh, and leading it as much as you, which is one of the things that I really like about it. It just feels like a true collaboration, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted. Um, because I was studying at the time, I think I put a lot more thought into like the critical anal- analysis behind it more so than I would do if I'd started a personal project now. Because obviously, I had to do a lot of writing around it, I had to critique it. And when I was starting the project, I was like hyper aware about. You know this idea of the photographer and the subject, and I really didn't want this project to be dad as you know as an object or something to be as a spectacle. Um, I really wanted him to be active and not passive in the in the mm. project making, and also because I am his daughter, so I do know what to obviously a biggest extent what is like because I see him go through it but I'm not him I'm never going to know what it's like to actually be inside of his head so it's so important for his take to be involved and for him to be able to depict himself accurately
0: yeah it feels like I have said this to you before but he feels like he's a real genuine performer like he, he feels very alive in front of the camera there's so much there like he really wants to express a lot as part of this project does he like performing in front of the camera
1: yeah, he loves it. It's really nice. He really loves it. I had to do a self-portrait with him actually last week. And I was having to really catch myself because when I was taking this picture, I was like, oh God, like my hair. Oh God, my face. Oh, I look worried. I look this, I look that. And I was like, I really need to let all of that go because every time I ask dad to be in front of the camera, even if he thinks all these things, he never shows it and he never says it. But that's because I genuinely think he doesn't. I think he, he doesn't see this as anything to do with his ego, I think he definitely sees this as like a project with his daughter and not, he doesn't see it in through like an Instagram lens, for example. He seems genuinely confident. I think that's hopefully because he trusts me.
0: And with the performance, because obviously there's a sense of performance being a kind of through line in your broader practice. But with this project, how did the images evolve? Was it something that had an element of being pre-planned or do you guys like to hold space for improv? Like how did that sort of... Uh, manifest
1: yeah the um I think that it all began because the first images I made for the project were the text and landscape images such as the dogs in the car hung on a tree turn the oven off hung on a hedge opposite our front door and that kind of started the performance aspect so I I'm used to having post-it notes all over the house they're on the oven, they're on the front door, they're on dad's wallet, they're written on his hand, they're on the fridge, they're everywhere. And these are these serve as reminders either from himself or from us. Just little notes such as, you know, remember to pick up the car at two or remember to get mum from the gym at six and remember to turn the oven off or to put your teeth in or to take your meds. And I hadn't really thought about how that's not something that anyone else has in their house. Mm. And it was my mum who picked it up. She was like, these post-it notes are actually quite interesting because we write on them and then we just chuck them in the bin. They're just scrumpled up and chucked in the bin and we start a new one. And they're very haphazard and personal. And also no one really sees them unless they come through our front door. They're very private. And I wanted to kind of turn that on its head and take these kind of scribbled small temporary post-it notes and make it into something bigger and bolder and braver and public. And it was quite a playful thing to do. I I like cut out all the letters, you know, from cardboard and hand painted them. And me and my dad like got on his shoulders to string it up to the tree in public. And everyone was looking, I think expecting it to say happy birthday or congratulations. And when it read the dogs in the car, everyone was looking at us like, what on earth are they doing? Um, And I think that kind of process begun this kind of playful aspect and that kind of set the tone for the rest of the project
0: there was so much I wanted to ask you about that then where to start with (laughs) stop?
1: I guess a couple of things the first
0: being when did you realize that the world you occupy like your relationship with your dad the life that you live like you said this private space where like post-it notes become this quite important code throughout the day when did you think that all of this kind of your experience within it could be art
1: Mm, I think it's because I really enjoy working on things that are personal, as I think probably most photographers and artists do, and things surrounding identity, and clearly now in hindsight, family. And I just wanted to make something that we'd be really proud of and really happy with. And I think that's why the the videos, for me, didn't even feel artistic, they just felt like documentation. Whereas this is something that can go so much further, it can be turned so many different ways and I really wanted to make something that was playful and mostly enjoyable and the only way that obviously I know how to do that is through photo making.
0: Do you think it was difficult for you to navigate being a daughter
1: and an artist at the same time? Uh, Yeah definitely at times during Covid I found everything quite difficult so dad obviously has hydrocephalus, he has diabetes, he has a He's on a variety of medications for many things, which made him extremely clinically vulnerable during the pandemic, which obviously caused a lot of anxiety. But on top of that, I was actually at the end of my third year when the pandemic started. So I'm a 2020 graduate. So I was having to kind of complete this body of work during a time when, Even thinking about dad's illness made me anxious, Mm. which I found extremely difficult. And actually I stopped making photos when the pandemic started until maybe, well, it took a while, I think like a good six months before we started making images again. Because I think it was too much for me to be constantly reminded of it and constantly be reminded that he's at risk. So that was really tricky. And also there were times when uh, in the project making over the last, you know, three years or whatever it is now, that dad's been unwell with like severe migraines, et cetera. Um, and I've always thought, you know, if I have an, an, an image I wanted to take and we've set a date and then I come around and dad's in loads of pain, then I don't feel like I could take that picture anymore. Like it's it, that's where I think being a photographer is very much not the priority. It's very much about making sure he's doing it when he wants to and not when he's having a hard time.
0: And one of the really powerful parts of the work that you touched on in the beginning is this sort of thinking about leaving space for, I guess, a sense of humour that is absolutely rooted in kindness as a survival strategy. Through, I know when. My family have gone through difficult phases. It's, it's a really funny one. but like We often turn to humour as a coping mechanism. A lot of us do in different aspects of our lives, right? I think certainly that feels resonant now where things feel so overwhelming. Mm. Sometimes it feels like it's what you desperately crave and it's quite hard to reach. But there's a level of playfulness in the project which feels really powerful. And I wondered if you could just talk about that a little bit because I wouldn't necessarily think of... When I think about your work, I don't think about humour being necessarily like your number one thing. It's it's a very subtle, it's weaved very subtly through this body of work. So yeah, I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how that came about and why it's important to you.
1: Yeah, I mean, it came about really organically in a way that I think, like you were saying, it's just part of our family life. And I think... Especially in Britain, like our day-to-day life, like our way of dealing things is through sarcasm and humor. Mm. And like you say, at the moment when everything's so overwhelming, that's what we all turn to. And I think that was how it naturally came up in the project. So, Dad is is quite like that anyway. Like, so he has fake teeth, as I'm sure he'll love me telling everyone. (laughs) Um, He has like a bottom row of fake teeth, and he'll often forget to put them in and he works at a john lewis as a sales assistant like on the shop floor and he'll sometimes go to work and have forgotten to put them in and then smile realize everyone's staring at him weirdly and then he'll like awkwardly not smile for the rest of the day and come home and he'll find it really funny Um, it's not like he'll come home and be like oh god that was awful i can't believe i did this it was very much like he'd come home and like guess what (laughs) I was giving everyone scary smiles or running out of John Lewis <laughs> today. Um, so that's very much like part of his, I guess, yeah, like his coping mechanism and dealing with these things. And so that like naturally came up in the in the project. And I think I hadn't allowed that to happen in the original kind of making of the work because I felt like it needed to be serious. But I think through working with him more collaboratively, I realized that it it is still serious, obviously it is. Um, But with seriousness, there is also humour and there is also love and there is also care and all of these things are bundled into one. So the project doesn't have to be so constrained to showing what it's like to live with short-term memory loss and more being showing what it's like to be dad Mm. through all different aspects of his life.
0: Do you think there's a level of also thinking about what it means you know you mentioned love there but what it means to care for somebody who is managing all of these different long-term health issues because that comes through for me a little bit as well like we're just so shit at talking about long-term illness and and the infrastructure of our country is so shit at supporting people Mm. with long-term illness but also supporting their families so a lot of the is placed on the family unit or the the support system that the individual has? Was it important to kind of bring that to the surface as well in terms of your relationship? I, I guess I'm thinking particularly with like the text pieces and how you're letting people into the different strategies your family have kind of developed to support your dad?
1: Yeah, definitely. and i got i've the project is obviously on the surface, it looks like it's just me and dad, but my mum and my sister are very much involved in lots of the image making whether that's through ideas or them just being there on the day when we were taking images and, you know, piping dad up or getting involved. And, and and in that sense, it felt very much like a family unit project, which is about kind of bringing up dad's confidence in a lot of ways, which I've definitely seen happen in this last three years of him. You know, I don't think he really used to talk about it that much. I mean, he talked about it to us and he'd talk about it when he was really struggling. But I think through the projects it's like, It doesn't have to be a hidden thing, you know, and like you were saying with the government and and the state of the UK, he's really, his is a hidden disability a lot of the time. He's got the scars on his head, but, you know, he's not in a wheelchair or there's not something that for some reason the public can see. So a lot of the time he does face hardships, you know, like whether that's people not really believing that he needs six months off work, you know, or people not really understanding, you know, getting frustrated at him when he can't remember something they just told him and not, you know, having that empathy. And I really wanted to make sure this project kind of opened people's eyes to, you know, allowing them to laugh with us for a start. You know, it's not mockery. Mm -hmm. Like, we we want, you know, it is funny. We're allowed, you're allowed to laugh with it. But also to understand that it is really hard. Like, it is really hard to go about, like, living... With this hidden thing, um, and just expected, just being expected to, you know, catch up with everyone else. I think that's one of the things that makes the work so disarming
0: is that it holds so many different emotions in such a genuine and committed way. Like it, it is just not one note in any way. There's a real richness even within singular images. Um, you've managed to hold so much, which is so powerful, and I guess a lot of that comes down to this intimacy that you seem to have that that just seems to be part of who you are like all of your work when I look at it has this real intimate quality and I know some of your work is is very personal it's about your personal history not just this project but it feels also a little bit without sounding weird and like I'm psychoanalyzing you, (laughs) like it feels like it must be part of how you relate to people, this intimacy, this like care um, that you invite people into this very like loving and caring space. I don't know if like making intimate work is something you're really striving for sort of like on a conscious level, but it really does feel like it comes through
1: even in your fashion work as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, it probably is something about who I am as a person. I... Um, I think I worry about other people's emotions too much sometimes um I take on a lot of how other people are feeling but I think that must be something that comes into my work like I want people to feel themselves or people to feel comfortable around me yeah and I I do want it to be like an intimate process because in a lot of ways it is like you know even in fashion I think we forget that people are trusting us on how we depict them and I want to kind of gain that trust, I suppose.
0: There's like a couple of other different things that you've done sort of jumping off this project, but do you see the project being ongoing in its like pure sort of personal work form?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's one of those things where I, in the pandemic, I had to stop putting pressure on myself and keep creating work because it was too difficult. And I think since then, life has got really busy. I'm now full-time freelancing as a photographer. So I haven't had as much time to dedicate to solely working on the project in comparison to when I was a student obviously but it's definitely not finished like it's something I want to continue as and when feels comfortable but alongside that it's kind of it's kind of got its own branches coming off so recently I did a project with dad for family portrait magazine which is very much an editorial rather than personal work to an extent Um, as in we had a stylist Adam Winder who's lovely but it was it was a um, project about dad's long term memory instead. So kind of like a side piece from his memories of growing up in Pakistan, and the things he can remember from his childhood. So yeah, it's taking different forms, but it's definitely continuing.
0: And you also are working on a cookbook together, right? Yeah,
1: so that's the thing we want to do. So we were meant to go to Pakistan in, well, on Sunday. <laughs> but because of the floods, and everything that's going on out there, we've pushed it back to February. But yeah, that's the thing we want to work on together. Dad's An amazing chef, and he does kitchen takeovers. Like, we've got one in Peckham next Sunday, and he does market stores and stuff. It's kind of his passion, which he hasn't had the opportunity to pursue full time because of his memory loss. It it would be too intensive. So, that's something we want to work on together. So, taking some images of Pakistan and maybe not as specific as a cookbook, but maybe a photo book with a series of recipes and stories and. I'm not sure how it will turn out just yet, but that's like another extension in a different direction, which does still feel in my head linked to the dogs in the car.
0: I'm curious to ask you a little bit about what it's been like starting out in the industry. You mentioned before about how you graduated during the pandemic and you're somebody who I've really seen, you know, put so much energy into your, into your career and really worked hard to form relationships and experiment and try different things. How has it been like, you know... Is the industry kind of what you expected when you were a student?
1: It's actually better than I expected, which I think... Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah, which is good. Some people I think might say the opposite. I had this big fear in my head that I'd be working in the cafe I was at before I... Well, when I graduated for like the next eight years. Like I had it in my head that until I was like 30, I won't be able to do photography. It'll be too hard. I'll have to just work full time in a cafe because it's so overwhelming and so competitive. And so difficult to crack um, was what I thought my life would be like after graduating, which still to this day, I feel so lucky that these past two years have been so great and busy and have met so, so many lovely people. But I think it's just a lot warmer and in some ways smaller than I thought it would be, especially in London. There's so many amazing people like yourself who really want to hear you know, new voices and new ideas and new projects. And I feel really lucky that so many people were interested enough to, you know, give me a chance. So, yeah, I think... I think it is nicer than I thought it was.
0: <laughs> it's such a funny thing to talk about, actually, like what the experience of being, like emotionally, what the experience of being is in the industry. Because I think it changes all the time and you sort of come out of uni. So or whether you are self-taught, like so loaded with anticipation of what it's going to be. And I think also like there's a caricature of photography that has been built into our mindsets just from like TV and movies and kind of how it's portrayed that Mm. and I find it to be much as you say like much smaller and more community based than it can often appear on the outside which I really like
1: definitely I think also it's about like if you can't find that community for whatever reason you know obviously I live in London so I have a very London centric view of things you know I get to go to the private views or to whatever and if you live somewhere further out that's obviously going to be a lot more difficult but I think it's about creating those spaces if you can't find them there's so many amazing subsections of this community that people have just created they found people around them that they relate to and you know can make exhibitions with or just support each other
0: is there anything you know now like a few years in that you wished you'd known at the beginning
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's patience. <laughs> I didn't have any patience when I was graduating. I just wanted it all to happen right here right now and I couldn't wait any longer. I just wanted to be doing work and realizing that it takes so long like everything takes time. Like building relationships takes time. It's not as simple as sending someone an email. I mean, sometimes obviously it is, but it's not as simple as sending someone an email and then getting a dream job, you know, like it you have to get to know the person. They have to you know, get to know your work. It might be that you connected with someone in September of one year and then two years later, they'll come back to you, you know, saying they want to work with you on something. And I think I didn't really realise at the time that there wasn't like a quick, like one fixed solution. And I used to like always ask people like, how did you get that job? And how did you do that? And thinking that there was like an a, a simple answer that related to every job. But I think it's that it just does take time. And actually, on reflection, I'd have hated if I came out of uni and all my dream jobs suddenly arrived at the doorstep because it would have been so overwhelming because I wouldn't have been prepared for them.
0: Yeah, I think you've touched on something which I feel so passionately about, which is around timing. And it's such a funny stage, that first sort of decade, because there is a sense of urgency. There's a a sense of like creative force that you want to get going. You want to show people what you're about. You want to make a name for yourself and grappling with the fact that. Actually, a lot of the best things come quite slowly, and a lot of the best things, whether it's a body of work or a relationship, get better over time. So, there is that you sort of only know this with hindsight as you get older that it takes you know, it does take time for these things to sort of marinate and get better and and find their right place. Like I always used to say that, like I used to have too many ideas, to be honest, when I was an art director. And it was only over time that I realised that if an idea is good, it will, it will be good in two years time. It won't mm-hmm. date. And so, so I had to kind of teach myself to trust the process and know that I would find the right collaborator for an idea if I just... Remained open, took my time, you know, made the effort to talk to people and connect with people like it would things start to come together um, quite naturally if you trust the process. But it's really hard to surrender to the process because you feel like if you don't control it, maybe nothing will happen. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It's such a funny dynamic that, yeah, I'm just endlessly curious about. And I guess one of the things I kind of wanted to ask you, which I, I didn't have this experience so much compared to you. I'm I guess significantly older than you but like graduating and being an emerging talent through the lens of social media do Mm. you feel a lot of pressure to have achieved certain things because I know when I speak to people there's I I notice especially when I'm mentoring and I sort of speak to people en masse over the course of a year I notice people feel so much pressure to have a book to be seen Mm. here to like have these particular milestones that I think have been cultivated through social media as being a symbol of success for an emerging or young photographer?
1: Oh yeah, definitely. You do? Yeah, definitely. Even like you're saying, like the book stuff. Like I remember, it was actually like two years ago, I was like, I want to make a book now. I want to have a solo exhibition now. It's like I had like no work. (laughs) Like there was like nothing, you know, I, I now in retrospect, I'm so glad I didn't do that because I'd actually rather wait, you know, like this idea that me and dad are, you know, starting the process of, Something different is—it's just. I think there is a lot of pressure, and also, it's extremely revolved around money a lot of the time. Mm. You know, like I was like, I want to make a book, and I found out how much it would cost, and I was like, how on earth does anyone afford that? (laughs) Or you know, like renting out a space is expensive. Like all these things, you know, doing massive editorials—they're expensive, and it's not a simple as just wanting to do them and getting to do them for a lot of people. And I think that's where it's important to remember that you shouldn't be trying to hit these milestones. You should be making work that you're happy with and then those milestones will come organically.
0: Yeah. And they they genuinely will. Like, I think if you're committed and you're showing up, like... They do genuinely happen. I'm like, I sound like such a hippie, but I'm (laughs) like very much like things will happen at the right time. Like that book that you will do with your dad will be amazing, but it will come at the right time. And maybe that will be next year. Maybe that will be in five years. Like these, there's, there's a sense of trusting the process, which I think we've really abandoned in the face of... the pressure of productivity capitalism the, the pressures of social media and what it means to be a young artist or just an emerging artist in any field no matter when you start doing it like there's so much pressure to tick all these boxes so quickly and I think we we sort of abandon our craft in that because actually making good work like what's remarkable about this body of work you've done with your dad is that it happened during your studies like that never happens that's so (laughs) rare um and so you know these things take so often take so long and I just I'm constantly trying to be like it's okay like you you've got to trust the process Hmm. because um
1: I think it's because like things are so fast-paced aren't they yes we feel like we need to keep up with this speed yeah which we don't and I always think like if Instagram just went corrupt or whatever, disappeared. Why, like, why are we putting so much putting so much of our energy specifically into things that we think are, oh, and I'll share that on Instagram on Monday. <laughs> it's yeah. like, but we made, either ways we made it, you know, like either ways we did that. Yeah. And without that platform, it doesn't mean that work is any less good or didn't, you know, same way with likes or followers. Like, you know, if you put that same image on a profile with 100,000 followers, obviously it was going to get more likes, you know. And without any of that, I think we value our work a lot differently.
0: Yeah, definitely. It would be really interesting. Really interesting. <laughs> really <social> interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, yeah, I don't know. I just, I see so many people struggling because of the pressure of social media and feeling so frustrated within their own practice because they're not hitting those milestones, even though their work might be fantastic and something really exciting might be like emerging. I think... Yeah, I'm aware that there's like a lot of contradictions in what I'm saying because I think it's so easy to say this Mm -hmm. when you've been around in the industry for a while. If somebody would have said this to me when I was like 25, I would have just been like, oh, fuck off, that's so annoying. (laughs) Like, I just want to get on with it. But I do think the pressure of pace can affect the quality of work. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know. I was just interested to know if you'd had any.
1: Yeah, I think it's also down to like, I talked to my friend about this, about creating like personal work. Now, often I think... I've got spare time, I should make an editorial. Not, Mm. I've got spare time, I should just make work for myself. I think it's about like, it needs to be in a magazine. It needs to be, you know, with a name and and not that you can just, you can just make work for you. Yeah, it's so important to make work for you. And I think that gets
0: missed as well. And again, it's easier to say with hindsight, but you, yeah, I think it's so important to make work for yourself and think of yourself as the primary audience for Mm. this for this work because that's where you're going to get the fulfillment like as you say like in in another world if like print died tomorrow which has happened several times (laughs) it's shrunk but like if it died tomorrow like where would that energy go like it's so important to for you to be the primary audience yeah
1: definitely
0: I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your fashion work because that's becoming a bigger part of your practice over the last few years how have you found navigating that space and sort of expressing yourself that way
1: I've been really enjoying it, actually. I think when I was at uni, there was a lot of pressure for work to, you know, to be shown in an exhibition or to be fine, fine art. And I think I forgot that I actually do enjoy just collaborating with other people. You know, I think that's why I enjoy collaborating with Dad so much. I really like bouncing ideas with people, which is why it's so great, you know, with with my commercial work that I get to work with stylists and art directors and set designers, and it builds so many layers that I can't add to an image, which I've been really enjoying. Yeah, it's something that I'm glad to be doing so much of at the moment.
0: Are you ready for some quickfire questions? Go for it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, quickfire question. How do you deal with
1: self-doubt? Talk it out with others, because then they can give you a point of view which isn't inside of your own head. Creatively, what can you not live without? I think movies.
0: Hmm. How... Do you? I feel like this is particularly pertinent to you, Tammy. Mm-hmm. How do you feel or deal with the pressure to follow up after you've had like a big experience with a project or had a lot of attention about with one project?
1: I deal with that by not trying to up, one up myself and <laughs> just continue like the work that I made originally. I didn't make to be this project that people knew about I made it to be a project with me and my dad and I want to kind of hold that same value with projects moving forward. And
0: what does photography enable you to do that perhaps if you would have done something else maybe you wouldn't have been able to reach or sort of experience?
1: Meet so many people like I always think how lucky I am to you know every week I get to meet like 20 new people that I hadn't met before who could potentially be new collaborators or friends or just people I'm inspired by I feel really lucky that it's such a social space.
0: Is there anything that you're unlearning?
1: Unlearning. Yeah, there definitely probably is lots of things I'm unlearning. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I'm unlearning, like we were talking about earlier, the expectations. I'm learning, unlearning, you know, this need to be the, one of the best. You know, I'm unlearning what that actually means for myself.
0: And do you think photographs still have the power to shift thinking or consciousness?
1: Definitely, yeah. I definitely think that, I mean, at least... Personally I'm so moved by photo projects still and art in general but obviously for me this ability to you know capture a story still is so pertinent in in helping shift things. To
0: finish up I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show and that's what matters more to you the process of making the work or the final photograph?
1: The process
0: yeah 100%
1: whether that's the ideas or in terms of with dad like the, the fun of the day of actually creating or actually in loads of projects, the fun of the day of actually creating. And I shoot like 99% of my work on film and handprint myself. So that's something I really enjoy. Like the, after the whole shoot day, there's still the excitement of getting to go in the dark room and see those images and make them come to life. So I think definitely the process.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Tammy. it's so great to talk to you.
1: So nice. Thanks for listening
0: to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at jemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.